You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, it's Mike and Mike back once again. Hey, Mr. Gordon. Howdy. You ready to talk about South Carolina Comic Con and our trip up and meeting Kevin Eastman? This is this is a fun one, guys. Uh, we had a blast in South Carolina, and uh, I'm glad we can bring this to you guys. This is a, a really fun interview. Whether you like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or not, uh, Kevin Eastman has secured his place as a Hall of Famer, if you will, of comics, and uh, it was just great to spend some time talking to him. No, Kevin was very generous to us and also to the fans, and it was a really great show in general. And Kevin was on Sunday was just the icing on the cake, which was perfect. Yeah, so uh, so tune in, but that's not all we got for you. But uh, it's a it's a it's a really good. It's one of our favorite. I think one of our best uh, uh, panels that we've done with a guest. Exactly. I think it was a lot of interesting stuff. I didn't mispronounce his name, so it was perfect, you know? That's <laughs> right. So it, it was perfect. And before, you know, we go any further, let us, of course, go ahead and thank, uh, of course, the fine folks at Borderlands Comics, you know, Robert and Michelle and their crew of people, you know, they put on such a great show at the South Carolina Comic Con. I can't rave enough about it. Absolutely. Yes, uh, that's a, continues to be one of our favorite conventions to do with of the year. It's a highlight of the year for us. It is. And, you know, they've already announced the dates for next year's con. So, you know, definitely go to the website, sccomiccon.com. And 2020 is already right on the horizon. And they're moving, thank goodness, back to the end of March. So, you know, it doesn't have us, you know, in competition with basketball tournaments or items like that. So it will also free up parking, which is wonderful and hotel space. <laughs> right. So thank goodness with that. And, you know, Robert could tell us, you know, jump so high we would for him. That's how much, you know, we love dealing with borderlands and also dealing with, you know, South Carolina comic con. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And speaking of thank you, thank you for you for listening. You know, we appreciate it as always. We definitely want to hear from you. So please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. Or you could call us, of course, at 404-963-9057. You know, leave any feedback, anything you want to talk about, any topics you want us to talk about. This is, you know, your time. This is available to you 24-7. You know, you could call us and just say, hey, Mike and Mike, this is my thought on this. Random thoughts would be great. And if, you know, we'll play it on the air and, you know, we'll answer it. It's a way of communicating to us and such. It's a pretty darn awesome. Of course, you know, a special thank you and shout out to everyone who's been supporting us with our patrons and our Patreon We especially do that. And thank you for helping financially support the ESO network. It definitely helps a little, the little bits that we get all the time. And, you know, we try to bring new things to you guys all the time. We 
exclusively released to our patrons, the ESO Network Riffs, which is the second episode, and we are doing Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And the first one was a huge success, and two was just as fun. We had a great time. We had a great crew. And, you know, it's a great thing to do, and we all got to yell Khan at the same time, kind of, sort of. Oh, we tried. We tried, at least. We even had the echo. That's what we'll say, you know? <laughs> So, but it was a lot of fun and you could hear it. If you help support the ESO network patron, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network. Doesn't get much easier than that. And we have all different levels. We have a dollar level. We have a $5 level and we have a $10 level. And for different levels, you get different materials and our $10 folks, you will be getting special stuff coming to you very, very soon. More to come on that. So definitely, you know, we thank you in advance and, you know, for everyone who has been supporting us, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We can't say enough about everybody out there who's been listening to us, who's been financially supporting to us. And, you know, we've been doing this. We're coming up in less than two weeks. We are coming up on our ninth anniversary. We're about to start season 10 of Earth Station One. Woo-hoo. Can you believe that? No, I can't. So, so we got big things planned for the next year, including our 500th episode. So we got a lot coming for you guys. But before we do anything further, we got rants and raves this week. And we got a lot of things to talk about. And so this is just going to be a general topic uh, between Mike and I. And one of the things I wanted to rave about, really rave about, has been, I don't know, Mike, are you still watching the Orville? I am watching the Orville. Because... This uh, two weeks ago, they finished a two-parter, uh, which featured uh, an amazing, amazing storyline that I think, in some ways, rivals stuff from Star Trek: The Next Generation, including Best of Both Worlds. Okay, so Maybe I, right. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it a lot, and I thought the whole storyline. Of the robot race, you know, pretty much, you know, turning out to be all bad and, you know, trying to take over the universe, I thought was, it wasn't like it wasn't foreseen, but it was a neat thing to see happen. And it was just, it was great. And you had the show evolve, I think. I think this one, this is where the show came into its own. There's been a lot of good storylines I think with Orville so far and I like a lot of the topics they've been touching on and yeah, there's poop and fart jokes in it, but I think that is, I don't want to say it's expected from Seth MacFarlane, but I, I like what he's doing with Orville and I saying, bring it on and I'm looking forward to whatever they come up with. And I think it's been interesting stuff to do. Yeah, it's getting um it's it's solid. It's uh I, I like the Orville. I watch it every week. Um uh, I enjoy it uh for the most part. Um I'm still not it's still not comfortable with how much they are quote unquote borrowing from next generation. I mean in some in a lot of ways it feels like a parody of next generation which the people who are making it take very seriously. Um, I, I think and, it's more of an homage now than a parody anymore. 
but it, whatever you want to call it, it is really like they've really taken a lot from next generation. I mean, to, 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 to people who are not in the know, it might as well. I mean, it looks exactly like next generation. Um, and so I wish it didn't do that. Um, but it's already established that that's what they're doing. So, um, so, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, I've made my peace with it. I, I take it for what it is and I watch it and they tell some pretty interesting stories. Uh, you're right. The two-parter was pretty intense, really well done. Uh, the special effects in the, in the battle scene were amazing. Uh, the characters are not completely there yet, but I, I do enjoy them. I, I think that uh, there's some decent characters and, and that's what makes a decent TV show, right? Is the characters. So I do think that they 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 are working on those, and I do give Seth a lot of credit. He is writing, uh, or at least listed as the writer, the main writer of a lot of these scripts. So a lot of it's coming from him, and uh, I think overall it's a, it's a fun show. Exactly, and fun is what we need sometimes nowadays. You know, things other shows have been getting darker and darker, and it's just it's just interesting to see what they're going to do with it and. Orville, I think, has been pretty decent. Uh, also pretty decent, I think, some of the DC shows have been, you know, picking up a little bit of steam, I think, especially since this Elseworld storyline. And now since they're all heading towards crisis next season, I think they're all working towards something, especially since they just announced that Arrow is going to be ending next season and it's going to be a shortened season. So probably ending right around crisis. Yeah, um, I've enjoyed uh, most of the CW shows this year. I must admit I'm behind on some of them. Uh, I'm really behind on Legends of Tomorrow, uh, so I, I haven't watched that much. Uh, but um, uh, I I am um, caught up with Arrow, Supergirl, and Flash. And uh, I need to be caught up on the others, but I've, I think they've all been solid. Um, I think the crossover was amazing, but I think they've also, I, 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 I find it interesting that at least, uh, three of the shows, um, are, are, are fast forwarding ahead or showing us a future of the same year. Like the, that the, that the flash forwards in, in arrow take place in the same year that, uh, there's a character in the future that one of our, one of the, the flash characters keeps visiting in the future. And that's the same year as arrow, which I understand that year has a lot to do with what's going on with legends of tomorrow too. So obviously there's something happening about that year. I don't know. I would imagine that it's going to tie into next year's crisis at some kind, but we don't know. I mean, it's just fun to watch. Uh, but uh, overall I, I've been enjoying all of those and, and uh, Supergirl in particular, with the, inter- the recent introduction of Lex, has really stepped up. Oh, John Cryer has been amazing as Lex. And I was very skeptical. You were getting Lenny Luthor as, you know. To <laughs> yeah, to I mean, Lex. Ducky, right? Like, who would have thought that Ducky was going to be like a badass? But, you know, he might end up being one of the best Luthers live action that we've ever had. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, you know, Eve, everything I've seen of John Cryer's Luthor has been fantastic. 
and I did not expect it. I think that's been one of the biggest surprises of the season, even more so, and I'm going to come out and say it more so than even the Elseworlds story, getting Batwoman. I think John Cryer as Luthor has been brilliant. Well, um, if I may say, uh, I, I think John Cryer has been great. He's only been in an episode, and I think that's. But he, I think I do think he's been uh, pretty uh, off to a good start. Let's put it that way. Well, he's been uh, chewing up the scenery, basically. I mean, yeah. I mean, he, he's in. Yeah, he's definitely played the uh, Luther that uh, uh, we've wanted to see. But I think, as far as uh, a lot of the. Um, uh, Almost all the CW shows that I'm watching, to me, the standout character this season out of all the shows has been Manchester Black. Uh, really? That's a character that I didn't, I, I was familiar with from uh, the uh, story in Superman, uh, whatever, what, no, what's it called? Uh, what's so, what's so good about the, Amer- uh, I don't know. I can't remember what the name of the title is, but, but it's uh um, but I think the character on Supergirl, especially uh, played by, and I'm looking up the, the character, the, the actor's name as we speak, uh, David Ajala, I think. I hope I didn't, you know, butcher that. Take a drink, folks. Yeah, right. He's phenomenal. Uh, just so good. Um, I, I am riveted by him when he's on screen uh every week uh he's been saving like some of that show to me like the brainiac and the um uh i can't remember what the legion girl's name is the, the dream girl yeah dreamer. dream girl okay well yeah. well, well uh, <laughs> comic book she was dream girl and then she became dreamer so i think she's yeah. dreamer now she's uh she's fine but they don't you know and some of the stuff they've got going on is kind of interesting but uh but really to me manchester black has been like when he enters the the he when he enters the scene i'm like oh now i'm paying attention so good so good mm-hmm. no i like what they've done on supergirl i think they've made the shows interesting again which is nice because my interest on supergirl last season was starting to wane a bit and so i was happy to see you know, this season, you know, really pick up. And so, you know, good on them. And I like what they've done with Flash. And I like the whole thing that they have going on now with uh, Zoom or actually, you know, whatever they call, you know, the reverse <laughs> Flash these right. days. Yeah. And, you know, he's Zoom, he's reverse Flash. He's, you know, who's he thawing? He's, you know, it's like whatever. So, I like what they've been doing with that. And I love the things they've been doing with Barry's daughter and I'm just having a lot of fun with it. And black lightning has been amazing. A lot darker than it even was the first season. I've heard really good things about black lightning and I saw the first episode and I have not, everything else is stored up. So it is one that I definitely want to uh, check out as well, because I've heard that was one of my favorite shows last year. And, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to picking back up again. Well, it's also fun with Black Lightning playing Atlanta geography with it too. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Since they film it here. So it's it's pretty cool. So, you know, I think it's been a lot of fun. And that's the great thing about it is just, you know, 
it's cool TV to watch and American Gods is back. We've, I've gave a shout out to it last week and the second episode was just as good as the first one. So definitely have been enjoying that. I, uh, I definitely want to get caught up in that. And I know that, uh, since you mentioned the Orville and we're talking about other uh, sort of superhero shows, let me just say that uh, Gotham is going out with a bang. Um, it is, <laughs> it is not slowing down as it gets closer and closer to its end. It's just getting crazier and crazier. Um, you know, it's just the idea of like, Oh, well, there's so many bat villains. We haven't had a chance to introduce and we've only got like six episodes left. Gotham goes, hold my beer and introduces like four in one episode. It's mm-hmm. just, and yet it's all crazy and it's all cool. So I, I really, I, I'm really digging Gotham. I'm going to miss the show when it's gone. It's just been uh, a very, very crazy, crazy elseworlds of the Batman universe. And, yeah. I was going to uh, say everything, you know, about the Bat universe throw out. Yeah. It's, but- well, don't throw out. You can enjoy because it's it's crazy. It's just a different take on it. So if you go in looking at it like an Elseworlds, I think you'll enjoy it a lot more. If you're stringent on what your who your Batman is and all that kind of stuff, you probably are going to be uncomfortable. But uh, well, exactly. If you're a purist, forget it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, can be said of so many things. But um, yeah, I uh, I definitely think that that's. Um, uh, uh, Gotham is one that it's it's gonna it's great it's just exactly it's one of my highlights of the week. That's awesome. That is awesome that you're getting to do that and everything. So yeah, there's tons of you know springtime's not letting up, and you know that's the great thing. We're winding up towards now, looking at the season finales probably in the next month or so. So yeah, it's hard so, to believe, but it's it's right around the corner. Exactly. So you know, then we have fun summertime programming, but then again. April 14th is right around the corner and winter is coming. I know tomorrow is supposed to be the first day of spring, but winter is coming. So (laughs) yeah, it's crazy. I know. And everyone's looking forward to that. HBO is looking forward to that. (laughs) So it should be interesting to see what we got. And so we definitely, you know, Got tons of good Wait a minute, before, going on. I, I got to give you. I got a really quick question for you because I was thinking about this the other day, and I know this is this could probably be our rants and rays for the whole like fifteen minutes, but I have to ask. Okay, so we are uh, so three things are happening this year, right? We've got the end of Game of Thrones. Yes, we've got the end of the MCU as we know it, and True. we've got the. But I end, feel fine. <laughs> We've got the end of the Skywalker saga coming up. Yes. Which one of those are you most excited about? Hmm. It's three big, major geek turning points, right? Yes. That's a good question because I think I'm probably most excited about the end of the Skywalker saga. Because so many people were torn on the last episode of Star Wars. And I'm hoping JJ's return to it can help bring balance to the force. See what I did there? (laughs) (laughs) And so, but yeah, we basically, I'm looking forward to that. I think because MCU is going to go on. So, well, technically Star Wars is also, but it's just not going to focus on 
the Skywalkers anymore. So I'm hoping, you know, but I think I'm looking forward to that the most because Star Wars is something from my childhood that, you know, has always had a special place. And, you know, Game of Thrones, I need it to win me over again. It's been so long since we've seen anything from it. And I want to be engrossed with it again. And so I can be on the final episode just like, wow, you know, type of thing. I, I'm i going to cop out here and say, like, I'm, I, I can't decide. And I could give you an answer right now. I could say Skywalker Saga, right? But the fact is that after I saw that the end, when Captain Marvel was over, I couldn't wait for Endgame. Um, when I saw the trailer for uh, this season of Game of Thrones, I couldn't wait for Game of Thrones. I'm sure once we start seeing images and and get excited about uh, episode nine, I'm going to be like all giddy. So I bet you, I'm, ten, I bet you ten to one we're going to get the preview for episode nine in front of Endgame. Uh, that could be. That could be. I, I I'm thinking that they're going to air it. Well, I don't know. I mean, a teaser anyway right? A teaser would be, you're right, a teaser, and then maybe a full trailer when Star Wars Celebration happens in the, the next month or so after that, right? So, um, so I, I would, because Celebration's going to give us something, um, so we at least need to get a title or something out of, you're right, probably something similar, but in any case, it's a, this is an exciting year, uh, just those three things alone, and that's, that's just the tip of the iceberg, so uh, yeah, we are living in interesting geek times. Yes, we are. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, it was interesting because Kevin Feige came out today, of all things, and he was talking about how they're breaking the different movie eras of the Marvel Universe. And basically, they're calling the, you know, the first 10 years from Iron Man, the very first one to the end of Endgame as one era and they're calling it the infinity era. And so it's going to be interesting to see what the next era of Marvel is going to be like. Doesn't infinity imply that it goes on forever. I know that it never ends. (laughs) This is Kevin Feige. We're talking about dude. Look, they can like for 10 years, they've, they've got this. I'm not worried about it. They've got this. Of course, but you know, it's interesting to see. And, you know, folks, we got a lot of good stuff coming up and we're going to be sharing it all with you. But we want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment with the Geek Seat. This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. This week, we've got a brand new horror film coming out from Jordan Peele called Simply Us. It's about a family who is haunted by the feeling that something very bad is about to happen. After they spend a day at the beach, you know, it just seems like a normal family-type vacation activity. They come home to their vacation home to find something truly horrifying it's their own doppelganger staring back at them and these doppelgangers haven't exactly come in peace now i know i've mentioned in the past that i'm not much of a horror film fan just not quite my jam but i really really loved jordan peele's get out 
I thought this is a super thought-provoking and fascinating thriller that offered both scares and tackled some important issues that actually impact our society today. So even though the trailer for us actually looks scarier than Get Out, I still want to see it just because I loved what Jordan Peele did in Get Out so much. Although I have to admit, I'll probably wait for DVD for this one because I don't know if I can handle us in a dark theater. Well, Us is undoubtedly going to be the most buzzworthy movie this weekend. We also have the rom-com Gloria Bell starring Julianne Moore, who finds love again. Then we also have Hotel Mumbai about the 2008 siege of the Taj Hotel in India, which stars Dev Patel and Army Hammer. And on DVD this week, I'm super excited because my favorite movie of 2018 is finally coming out on home video, and that's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. If you have not seen this movie yet, you know what? There's no need to even rent it first. Just go out and buy it. It's such a wonderful film. I love the animation style. It's so colorful and unique, not like anything I've really seen in an animated movie before. And beyond that, just the characters are so wonderful. I have wanted to see Miles Morales' version of Spider-Man on screen for a while, and he's great. It's also wonderful to see all the other different kinds of spider people that come out of this multiverse. Just a really great film, so definitely be sure to check it out. Also worth checking out is Mary Poppins Returns, which is, of course, a very long-awaited sequel to Mary Poppins. Now, of course, um, this follow-up doesn't surpass the original. They rarely do, but it's still a very charming, fun family, feel-good film with some nice songs. So definitely check that out. And that's it for this week. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog, boxofficebuzzab.wordpress.com. This week's topic is going to be the future of the two biggest superhero franchises, which is, of course, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the DC Cinematic Universe. Why should I listen to the Nerd Bliss Podcast? Because we go there. Where? Everywhere. Human sexuality. They don't care what's in your pants. They love you anyway. Time travelers. The problem is time will f*** back with you. Politics and fandom. What Star Wars has been prior to Disney. It is a white male-driven universe. Find us at nerdblisspodcast.com. And on social media at nerdblisspod. Part of this complete breakfast and the ESO Network. The, the Nerd Bliss Podcast. Listen! Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it's time for the Geek Seat segment, and we have a new friend of the show joining us. Welcome, Dan Kozu. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Welcome to the station. Um, For those people who may not be familiar with your work, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I am a writer. Uh, I write primarily for the satire sites, The Hard Times and The Hard Drive. Uh, I'm also a screenwriter and uh, general writer, but I have my first novel coming out April 1st. It's called Lingeria, and it's available for pre-order. The ebook is 99 cents right now until April 1st. And uh, yeah. Excellent. Exciting. Yeah. Welcome to the <laughs> wonderful, scary world of self-publishing. It is terrifying, actually. So. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> um, well, tell us a little bit about, uh, I guess we'll start with uh, the, the, the novel that's, that's coming out. What was the inspiration behind it? 
Sure. Uh, it was originally uh, going to be a cartoon pilot that I wrote, and then I decided that it was about an author, so I decided to turn it into a prose book. Uh, it's the first one I ever, uh, long form that I ever attempted. And uh, it was really, it's the, the book is about an author who finds, uh, not finds, but is drawn into a portal that leads into the world of the successful fantasy series that he writes. And everybody there knows him and revere him as God and his books are their Bible. Uh, I got the idea. It came actually from the Wizard of Oz series. Uh, if you read the later books, you can see Al Frank Baum gets a little tired of writing them. And he kind of bookends the books with these weird things where he's like, and Oz is invisible. And so I can never go there again because he was so sick of writing the books. <laughs> and then the beginning of the next book, we were like, oh, Dorothy was able to create a machine to call me. So that's why I'm able to write a new book. And so it was I, I, I thought about an author who's sick of the world that he created, having to go into that world and deal with kind of the mess that he made. Very, very, uh, yeah. And it, it seems like it's got, uh, from, uh, looking at the, uh, the, the website and everything, it looks like it's got a, uh, sort of more of a satirical, like, is it, is it fair to say, is it now, is it, uh, is it a, um, I mean, it looks a lot of, of fun. Is it an all ages book or? There's bad language, um, okay. but there's nothing worse than bad language. Uh, there's some okay. violence. Depend- so depending on where your qualms are, uh, they, they swear a little bit and there's some violence. Uh, there's not any uh, sexual issues. Uh, gotcha. Well, I mean, I can tell you've already done your homework as a, as a fantasy writer because you've got a map and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I made that map myself, so... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I, I just wanted to have fun with it. And I kind of broke it up into chapters because I have a problem with kind of focusing. And that's why writing long form prose is kind of hard for me. And that this was the challenge. And so I just kind of broke it up. And each chapter is kind of not an adventure. There is a linear plot, but it, that's how I was able to kind of confront it. And so I just, I kind of went at it just having fun with it. And I just, and that's what I, I just had a lot of fun. And hopefully uh, the readers will see that as they go through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, with a release date of April 1st, that makes me wonder if this is going to happen at all. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that until I posted it and somebody said, is this, is this a joke? Cause I didn't tell a lot of people about it because I abandoned a lot of projects. And so I didn't want to be like, Hey, I'm writing a book and then nothing ever happens with it. Uh, so all of a sudden all my, like I just started telling people about it and yeah. Yeah. You're going to be announcing it on the first. Here's my book. Here's my book. And people are like, yeah, right. <laughs> But in a way, it's it's perfect. Um, so uh, no, it sounds very exciting. Um, so I would imagine you know um, you probably have a personal history with a lot of uh, fantasy. You mentioned Wizard of Oz. It seems like you're pretty familiar with those. Any other uh, fantastical worlds that you visited? Yeah, I mean, I've, I love Lord of the Rings. Uh, I think the the books are. And I, I wasn't too like I didn't read the books till I was probably in my early thirties even after like the movies had come out. Um, and cause I, I actually wasn't a huge fan of the movies. I liked them. Uh, like I liked them, but then the expanded edition is actually what made me fall in love with. Right. Uh, but I, I not, I, I have like kind of my, my reading is kind of all over the place. I, I like a lot of sci-fi. I like a lot of fantasy. The dragon riders of Pern is a, some, a book series that I really like. 
the Dark Tower series, which I consider fantasy, is is one of my favorite series. Um, and then, but I even when I was, I didn't want to like kind of through like what is it symbiosis? I didn't want to start stealing like how other people wrote, so I didn't read a lot of fantasy while I wrote this. Uh, I read uh, like a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court is sort of that portal. Uh, while I was re- writing this. Uh, so I kind of went all over the place while I was writing it because I didn't want to just steal too much from one source. No, that, that, that's fair. It's, it's, it, yeah, it's not so much a commentary or, or a riff on one particular one. It's, it's more yeah. like, yeah, that's because uh, it's fair. And then there's, there's so many, I mean, it's, it's, there's so many similarities, I think. Um, and also uh, so many differences, but uh, yeah, I've yeah. kind of, not a huge fantasy uh, reader, but um, uh, but I am familiar with. I mean, I did read uh, the Dragon Riders of Pern. Mm-hmm. I, I did read a little. Well, I read the Cliff Notes of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I got the Cliff Notes because a friend of mine was reading them, and I kind of wanted to talk about it. He wanted to talk about it with me, and I was like, "This is a little heavy. I can't really get into it." So I bought the Cliff Notes, and I was, so we were able to have a conversation about it. Oh, yeah. Hey, anyway, you, uh, and, and that's what I think. I like, if you don't like something, that's fine. Like if like, and, and I, I think to be a fan of, of a genre, you don't have to read everything in that genre, but I do like, like Terry Pratchett's, Terry Pratchett's Discworld, but I, I actually stopped reading it a while back when I started even like notes for this, because I definitely didn't want this to feel like I was copying Pratchett or Douglas Adams for like a satirical book. And this isn't right. parodied. I'm not parodying anything. This is, uh, it's more satire of honestly the book is is more satire of current like nerd culture uh than fantasy writing books and uh in case i don't know if we've yeah have we said it yet the title is 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 lingeria is that, is that right Ling, people, characters in the book call it lingeria other characters call it lingeria it's kind of a running joke throughout the book that that everybody pronounces it kind of differently Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so we'll play. Uh, I actually thing. realized that after the, the the second or third draft, when I started showing people and they started responding to me, and we were talking about it, I realized I never said it out loud, and I had no idea how. And then I realized <laughs> I was saying Nigeria, but a lot of people say Lingeria, and I really don't care. I think it's fun, kind of, however you see it. And it's the fun thing about being a reader that I love. I love reading is that you pronounce words in your head, especially fantasy words, totally different than everybody else. It's kind of like Mixoplex or something like that. <laughs> I also love the fact that it's book one of one so far, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> it could be, it could probably it'll prove to be, you know, so successful that you'll have book two of one. I, I do have an idea for book two of one, uh, but I, I actually have, I think two other, assuming I can convince myself to keep going, uh, two other books that are, have nothing to do with this. Cause a lot of the book is about hating your own creation and I don't want to burn out on this. So I, I do have two other completely different things that I'm working on. Well, uh, you mentioned uh, at the top of the segment that uh, screenwriter, um, you've got, you're also writing for satire sites. Um, mm-hmm. As far as um, inspirational writers, uh, other authors out there that you find inspiration from, who would you name as uh, being key influences for you? Uh, I do love L. Frank Baum's writing. I think it's a very, it, it, for writing children's books, it's actually very, he has, he loves language. And so I love, I love his books. Uh, I'm kind of all over the face. Thomas Hardy is one of my favorite authors of all time. And he writes like European or uh, British, uh, like not, like it's not romance tragedies really. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, 
of course, proper names are eluding me right now. Uh, I do like a lot of Stephen King's work, but not. I actually like his his non horror stuff. His his more like uh, I don't think The Stand is is horror. I think it's more fantasy. Dark Towers more fantasy. Sure. Uh, I like I love George Orwell's work. Uh, I'm blanking on Ender's Game's author, who he's problematic for his personality, but I actually love his writing. Is that uh, Scott Card? Yeah, Orson Scott Card. Uh, which, I, it's weird, because if you read about his personality, you're like, but he writes the complete opposite. Like, the themes of his work are, are everything that he seems to stand against, which is really weird. Uh, I don't know if you know the author Robert R. McCammon. Uh, he's another kind of all-over-the-place writer. He writes fantasy and, and horror and kind of all in between, but he wrote a book called Boy's Life, which is probably my favorite book of all time. Uh, and so he, uh, he's just amazing. Uh, I really love his work. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, speaking of influences and, and geeking out, uh, Mike, I think he's ready for, for it to be seated in the chair. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's been waiting. It's been a little bit lonely the last few weeks. So now we were at town. Know, so yeah, exactly. Please take a seat, relax. <laughs> And Mike will slowly and gently tie you down. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's harder. Right, I, I was picturing a comfier chair. This is this is very firm. <laughs> most most people do. Exactly. Many have cried in that seat, so <laughs> you know that's why we have the tissues right next to it. It's and, and okay. We're perfectly fine letting people think that. <laughs> exactly. You know, the more comfy it gets for you, the more comfortable you get. And then we lay the boom of the geek seat on you. Are you ready for your first question, sir? Bring it on. He's too happy. Mike, <laughs> tighten him up. I'm just saying, I'm like, man, they always start out so cocky. <laughs> Bring it on. Let's go. Yeah. What was your favorite geek out moment? I would. I wrote an article for the Hard Times about Weird Ale. And it it gained a little traction, and he actually ended up liking it and sharing it on Twitter. And that I probably lost my mind more that day than I ever have before. Even though I didn't like, I haven't met him in person or anything. It was just like he didn't know I wrote it. He just shared an article that I wrote. But it, he was such an influence of me coming up as a comedy writer and just as a kid and a, a music lover as well that it, like I lost my mind knowing that he had read something that I had written uh, and enjoyed it and didn't think I was being mean or, or disrespectful in any way. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. We are big Al like, fans here. So, yes. <laughs> oh yeah. And when we say big, we just mean big, large, heavy. You know. <laughs> but, uh, so that is pretty darn awesome. Mm-hmm. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? I think re- when when they announced the female Doctor Who, like literally just the teaser where like she took the hood off and the internet lot like. And, and the internet, it's not all the internet, actually. I think probably most of the fans were like, okay, let's wait and see. But there, it, you, you instantly had to defend it. And there was no reason to have to defend it just based on... And I just wanted to geek out that more Doctor Who was coming and that it was going to be a new actor with a kind of a... Like, I, I loved Capaldi, but with like kind of a new twist on it. You didn't know where it was going to go and a new showrunner. And without even a, a trailer or anything, it was already hatred. And you had to get out there and defend it instantly. And it was just like, I just want to have fun with this. Like, and it, it was just really hard to do it. And it, it, it was just disappointing how the, the geek culture that I kind of grew up in, which probably wasn't really, I'm probably thinking nostalgically, but 
was uh, inclusion and was that you like we were the people that were picked on and we found something and when that happened i was just like this isn't fun this isn't what it's supposed to be so i think that was the most disappointing geek out moment for me no totally understand that what geeks you out the most I think meeting other geeks like who find like who love the esoteric stuff that 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 I love. Uh, I'm a big fan of the British show The Prisoner from like the '60s, and I recently met somebody who was also a huge fan of it. And like, and when you find those people randomly, like not in like like the sub forums or something, but in just meeting them, and you can talk about the show and just lose your minds over it for a while and love the same thing. I love those moments where you you just bond over something instantaneously that you both uh, cherish so much. My brothers, my sisters, we have something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, you've heard of this too? I can't believe you've heard of this. Oh my God, you know that? I love you. <laughs> feel like Doug from Up, you know? <laughs> I just met you, but I love you. <laughs> what turns your geek off? I, I, I think going back to like the Doctor Who thing, just hate. I, I don't think there's any reason to just, like you can not like something. That's fine. Like if you didn't like a movie, and you're like, oh, I didn't particularly like that movie, or I really didn't like that movie for what, like, how they did. But it, I mean, to to feel like you need to define yourself by your hatred of something is just like it just turns me off. Like you 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 have no reason to be doing this. Go go to that thing that you love and and promote that and and get people to hear about that. Don't spend your time like you hated the Last Jedi. That's fine. Like, but but to like like attack people who actually enjoyed it. I mean, I, I don't see the joy in that. I don't, I don't see the, the reverie in that and the community in that. So I, I think that's what turns me off and like it makes me want to just quit the internet basically. No, totally. You're not the only one on that one. Mm-hmm. And we also saw that with a lot with Captain Marvel. Well, yeah. And I, I wasn't, I, I, I walked out. I'm like, yeah, that was, that was a movie. Like I, I wasn't like, but I saw a lot of my friends posting online how much they love, like they loved her, and and certain parts that uh, uh, like reminded them of their of their upbringing and things like that. And uh, and I'm like, good, celebrate it. I'm not going to be the one to take it away from you. That's awesome. You had friends who were captured by aliens. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, that's awesome. They thought they were aliens. It turned out they were human. It was crazy. Oh God, you know I hate when that <laughs> happens. Usually I just call that Tuesday. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> what, f- what fictional character would you like to meet the most? The Doctor, 100%. I, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. Uh, and it's it's one of the few characters in, like, fic- in, in storytelling that's typically an optimist. Usually, and especially in today's kind of storytelling, it, it, the main character is usually flawed, usually pessimistic. Like that's just kind of the character we like. We like the kind of edgy bad guy. And there's just something about optimism in the doctor that I need in my life because I'm the pessimist and I'm, I'm the, the downhearted one. And it, yeah. And, and like the use of nonviolence and just, it's just so opposite of everything we kind of love as a culture, but it's still amazing. And so I think to meet and to travel with, with a being like that would I think I would probably get annoyed at first because it's not who I am, but my God, I would just love to travel the universe with the doctor. No, totally understand that completely. Who was your first doctor? Uh, it was, um, it was Eccleston uh, because I, we got it on PBS and I'm like, I kind of like, I 
you remember the the Tom Baker kind of Simpsons jokes and the his kind of uh, like he, his name was in the ether is what Doctor Who was, but I didn't know too much about it. But when they started playing it on PBS, they would play it. I think around like Monty Python and um, Faulty Tower episodes, and I would and it was during like the Bad Wolf time, and it was just it was amazing. And so I, I yeah, I was hooked instantaneously when Nicholson was on. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. What fictional character would you not like to meet? Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter, 100%. Like, I didn't even need to think about that. Like, I hate her more than Voldemort. It, it's just such a perfectly, in, in the book, uh, I'm not, I, I've only read, I think through her book. I can't, I don't think I've read past that, but in the movies, uh, I just, it's such a perfectly created character for, for propaganda and for, just uh, just awful, awful character because Voldemort's evil, but she's pushing a message. And, and oh, it's just, I, I can't even watch movies with that actress in it anymore because it upsets me so much. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Nothing like strong feelings on the show tonight. That's good. <laughs> that is really- but if you like Dolores Umbridge, I'm not hating on you. Sorry. Didn't mean to do that. <laughs> Going against my own uh, beliefs, Sarah, about hate. It's okay. You know, many people have their opinion and, you know, they just feel pity for you since you're in the geek scene. So it's okay. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? I wrote this one down and then thought about it and thought about it. I'm like, I'm like, is there something else that I like say or something like, and, but I, I stuck with, I have been and always shall be your friend. Spock's last words in A Wrath of Khan. Spoilers. Uh, yeah. I said spoilers at the wrong. Something that's, yeah, I know. You're <laughs> spoiling something that's almost 40 years yeah, old. That's okay. All. But uh, that line just defines him and Kirk so perfectly. And it's not about the Federation anymore. It's not about the wars. It's not, a, it's about the two of them. And it, it breaks my heart every time I've seen that movie. I can't tell you how many times. Spock. Spock. <laughs> We actually just reviewed it for the ESO Network riffs. Oh, really? We did the whole. We did a riff of Wrath of Khan, and it's available actually to our patrons. Fantastic! So, yep, everybody and, should watch know. that movie. Oh, it is such a fabulous movie. Mm-hmm. It's one of Mike Gordon's favorites. Absolutely. So, oh, really? Exactly. Yeah, Mike, tighten the ropes. He's too chatty. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does have to breathe a little bit. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Where's the fun? If he doesn't turn purple, where is the good times, you know? All right. What is your ideal geek occupation? I didn't know if this was supposed to be an occupation in in a fictional world, like in the geek realm, like like Ensign on, on the Enterprise or something, or in the geekdom that we live in. And so I, I put on doing it, storytelling. Like, I, it's what I've always dreamed of doing and what, what I am doing, I, I hope to do it full-time and not have a day job one day. Uh, but even having a day job, I'm, I'm loving it. And uh, it's, it's what I've always wanted to do. And I'm so glad I, I get to. No, totally understand that. Definitely understand that one. Cause you know, that's our number one answer is when the person is already doing what their favorite geek occupation is doing. But let's look at the flip side of that one. What geek occupation would you not like to do? I would say Reddit forum moderator for any specific 
unique <laughs> genre. I, I can't imagine what they go through and, and the like kind of vitriol they have to kind of comb through and, and delete. Uh, I, I, yeah, I would never do that. That's a good answer. I'm surprised that hasn't come up before. Very good. Yeah, that is awesome, actually. Wow. Yeah. You know, it sucks whoever has to moderate any kind of group. I feel bad yeah. for people who have to do that. <laughs> Except for the ESO network group. You know, we love you guys. We just totally love you guys. It's okay. Nothing but good it's, people. Exactly. All great people out there. All right, Dan. Are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? I'm, I, I need to get out of this chair. It's getting itchy. Well, that's why, because we have ants sitting on it now. Uh, uh. <laughs> You thought that was, those were little, that was just your limbs going numb? No, 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 no. We released two dozen fire ants onto it. It's perfect. So, all right. Your final question in the geek seat is, what is your ultimate geek fantasy? I think it would be, uh, I, I uh, there's kind of a, st- a little bit of a story behind this, but me and my friend were writing a cartoon and we're like, what is the goal of this? And I said, I want to see somebody dress up as one of our characters one day. Like that, I don't care if people hate it. Like if, if 99% of the public hates it and 1% loves it. And somebody like, and I think that's my ultimate geek fantasy is to one day somebody cosplay as a character I created. I think I will lose my mind if that happens. And I'm not asking anybody to do it because that will seem forced. Uh, but I, I will lose my mind that I could inspire somebody to, to love something so much to dress up as a character. Oh, that's cool. All right. I can see that. Absolutely. It is a truly wondrous feeling. Oh, yeah. Well, Dan, your answer was good, but I do have some news for you. Oh, no. Congratulations, sir. You have made it through the geek seat. Yes. I didn't think. I really thought I was going to lose my mind there for a while. Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $87.04. Hey, I, honestly? It's, 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 we, we don't lie, sir. <laughs> that's fantastic. No, Thank you. I love, your, never lied I love your shows. And that's why I like, I reached out to you guys because uh, I, re- I really enjoy your content. So we, uh, We've never lied on this podcast at all. Nope, never. No, no, no. no. No, only, well, we might have kind of stretched the truth when we said we were going to get you out of the chair. Um, Yeah, that's, you're you're in it for good. Um, So, um, but uh, in the meantime, where can people go to find out more about your work and your new novel? Sure, you can can pre-order the novel on Amazon. It's L-I-N-G-E-R-I-A. I I would suggest writing Lingeria book uh, because lingerie will show up if you just write Lingeria. Hey now. Uh, you could also find me and my book. Uh, I am at K zero Z U H, uh, on all the social media. And the book is at Lingeria book on all the social media. Awesome. And we will have links to all of that in our show notes. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on guys. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. It's good to have you here. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment when we go up to South Carolina Comic-Con and talk to Kevin Eastman.
everybody. Michelle here with the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. We are getting closer and closer to the induction ceremony for the 2019 class for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It is the time of the season. Yeah, see what I did there. Um, this past week, the hall announced the uh, inductors or presenters for that class and got some very exciting matchups and I think a couple of tasters for names that we will see again in October when they announce the ballot for the 2020 class. Uh, Harry Styles will be inducting Stevie Nicks. Trent Reznor will induct The Cure. Trent is way overdue, multiple nominee. I think we'll definitely see him on the ballot, and it will be his time this time around. Um, Roxy Music will be inducted by Simon LeBon and John Taylor of Duran Duran. I think Duran Duran will also be on the ballot. Uh, Brian May will uh, induct his buddies in Def Leppard. Janelle Monet is doing the honors for Janet Jackson, and... It's just so exciting to have Janelle Monet. As of right now, Janet is not uh, confirmed to perform. Hopefully that will change. Um, but if she does not, um, and Janelle Monet performs something, that will be incredible. And in a perfect world, if it could possibly happen, Janelle Monet and Janet Jackson together, and then, folks, we we just all can't even. So looking... Um, Looking excited to see what happens there. David Byrne uh, will be presenting for Radiohead. And one that was kind of a surprise to me, Susanna Hoffs of the Bangles will be uh, presenting for the Zombies. The ceremony itself is March 29th at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And then the HBO telecast will be April 27th. And in movie news, Rudy Dolitzal, who uh, has done a lot of video and film work for... Um, a lot of stars. Uh, he did a lot of work with Queen back in the day. Um, he says that a sequel to Bohemian Rhapsody is being seriously discussed within the Queen family. Um, no, 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 no. I, Brian May and Roger, I have loved you for a long time, but uh, no. If 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 a sequel were to happen, I'm sorry. That's just. That's just greed there. Uh, you cannot play with the timeline the way you did for Bohemian Rhapsody to make that story arc and then have a sequel. You can't have it both ways, guys. Um, so just say no. No, 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 no. No. This is Michelle with the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. Check out the blog. I've got a little blurb about Glastonbury on there for this year. IconicRockTalkShow.wordpress. Com, and I will see you next week when I will still be going, no, 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 no. Did you know the ESO Network has a brand new Patreon? That's right. We're asking for your help, and you could do it for as little as a dollar a month. Don't fret. All your favorite shows will still be available for free as always, but now you can get exclusive podcasts and more not heard anywhere else but on our Patreon. To sign up for the ESO Network, Patreon's easy. All you have to do is click on the link on the top navigation of the ESO Network website or go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. With your support of the ESO Network, it's you who will reap the rewards. If anyone wants to move forward, um, you can. Phil, definitely come on Phil first couple rows. And if you want, anyone wants to ask questions, Kevin, please line up at the microphone. Because that's how we'll be doing questions, so that way everybody can hear you guys. Absolutely. Awesome.
Okay. Only give yes or no answers. That's it. Okay. <laughs> so rapid succession. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, so uh, while everybody's getting situated, uh, I guess we'll get us started. Um, I have. I, I want to start right from the beginning. I want to start right from the beginning. I guess we're talking about 1983, 84, right? Is it? If you want to yes. go back further, you can. Um, but uh, I'm curious. Okay, so you and, and Peter are sitting around wondering, like, or trying to figure out what you're what you're going to do, what you got, what project you're going to do, yes. and how, like, how did you develop the turtle? When did you know that the turtles was the thing to move ahead with? Well, it was it, the whole thing was completely accidental in, in many ways, and, and actually many, many ways. But Pete and I had formed a um, company called Mirage Studios, and it was a Mirage because it was actually our living room. And uh, we had this... Uh, Pete and, uh, and his wife, Janine, were renting a house in Dover, New Hampshire, and um, they had a spare room, and I was cooking lobsters. Um, her main accent comes right back when you say lobsters. Lobsters up in the... The lobsters up, up there. Up in the harbor. It's wicked cool. <laughs> it was wicked cool. Wicked chowder. <laughs> like chowder. Chowder. Um... And uh, so I finished work that summer cooking lobsters, and uh, um, I said, hey, you know, we'd already met before, and because and, um, we were, uh, actually, I met him, actually, take a step back, I met him, I was trying to sell um, some of my cartoons to this magazine um, that I found on the bus between Amherst and Northampton, Massachusetts, sure. and uh, it's called SCAT, and I took it, I gathered my portfolio, went to the SCAT offices, and, and Try to sell them some of my jokes and some of my cartoons. They said, "Well, we don't really do the kind of work you're doing, but you should meet this guy Peter Laird. He's another local artist that draws the same you know weird stuff you do." And uh, <laughs> so I wrote Peter a letter, and back when you did those things back in those days, and uh, before um, emails, before emails. before texts, <laughs> spoke we you spoke actually, signal. You actually put stuff on paper, wow, and a stamp. Oh, yeah, whoa, by myself. And um, <laughs> no, but it was uh, so we we hit it off um, right away over. Uh, First time I went to Pete's studio, he had a original art, um, a pencil page from Jack Kirby, and I just I lost my mind. I was a huge Jack Kirby fan, and and I'd never seen the Jack Kirby original, so it was, it was quite incredible. He gave it to me years later. We still have it in our collection at home. Um, so we bonded. We started trading ideas, and um, uh, then I finished. Um, I was uh, doing part-time school down in there, and I moved back to Maine. And I was cooking lobsters over the summer, and just coincidentally, Pete moved 20 minutes from where I was working in Maine into New Hampshire. And so um, we'd come up and we'd noodle and doodle around. We said, well, let's, let's form a studio and, and see if we can get some work. So what we accomplished was getting a lot of rejection letters, um, which was awesome, but um, inspiring. We put them up on the wall for inspiration. And um, it was probably November of 1983. Uh, not probably. It was actually November of 1983 that um, uh, I was just annoying Pete one night. And I was thinking to myself, what's the stupidest thing I could come up with is, let me see, how about Bruce Lee... As an animal, what would be the dumbest animal um, it'd be? And so I did this first sketch, which is on our hat here, of a turtle standing upright. He had his uh, mask on and nunchucks, and I put it on his table. Um, I said, "This is going to be the next big thing." Ha ha ha! And, uh, <laughs> that was—I was joking. Somebody was listening. Um, so he did a sketch and changed some things. And I thought to myself, "Well, if one, why not a group of them?" So I did a sketch in pencil of four turtles, uh, each with a different weapon. And um, I wrote in, you know, comic booky, you know, Ninja Turtles on it. And when he inked it in, he had a Teenage Mutant to the title. And we literally we looked at this and said, "This is the dumbest thing we've ever seen." Um, <laughs> and uh, we yeah, immediately said, "We have to come up with a, a story that tells how these characters got to be the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles." And that was uh, November of '83 when that happened. And then 
by uh, January of 84, we started working on the comic book and completed it um, by, by May. It's a pretty fast turnaround. Yeah. <laughs> As we joke, we didn't have any distracting pain work going on. So, it was, uh, yeah. when, when you created the first comic, did you just do like, oh, it's going to be a one and done type thing? Or? Oh, yes. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I, I can't uh, compliment my uncle enough and that he loaned us the money. He was our early form of crowdfunding because um, he believed we, we had to borrow the money to, to actually print the book. Sure. We did this. Um, full budget. We we got our print co- co- quotes. We uh, put together an advertising plan. How to sell them through the mail. How we'd pay him back um, within the next sixty or seventy years. Um, <laughs> we uh, so we ended up to print three th- exactly three thousand copies, and uh, um, it was it was one of those things that we said, well, if we sell a couple hundred, you know, that would be awesome, and. Um, that's just went from there. It just started selling, and it's all your fault, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, by the way, for buying those back in, in those days. <laughs> your uncle's like, I should have asked for a cut. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he was well compensated. <laughs> we, we sorted him out, yeah. yeah. We, we took good care of him. But he was, it was great. He was at, um, so, it was, so we printed 3,000 copies, and I went back to cooking lobsters for that summer. And, um, and throughout the summer, we sold out of the 3,000 copies, and we did another printing of 6,000 copies. And then by the time I finished work that fall, um, you know, because Pete and I talked pretty much every day, and he said, well, people keep calling and asking when we're going to do a second issue. And we were like, we never thought the first issue would sell enough to warrant a second issue. So in fall of 84, we started working on issue two. That was wow. awesome. Wow. That's a, it's, it's a great story. I, I, look, I mean... <clears throat> As a, I'm, I'm a New England boy, Massachusetts, New Hampshire border. Um, I'm an independent creator, and you're like, you guys are, you and, and Ben, you know, the creator of The Tick, you guys are like legends <laughs> to us. You know, ben, I love Ben. Ben's doing quite well for himself. He's like, like Gotham, one of the main. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's been in a lot, doing TV work mostly the last, and I think, well, he, uh, I should ask him for a cut. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's got the Tick series on Amazon. I think that's right. He's, he's that's all right. in charge of that too. So, man, I love the original because my wife Courtney and I we were, for, I think for about six or seven years, we'd watch um, Rules of Engagement nightly um, before we went to before we crashed out. But I love Patrick Warburton's The Tick. So oh yeah, it was too oh, short lived, yeah. but it was an awesome series. <laughs> Just Absolutely. for voice, even when I see him on anything else. <laughs> Tick! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. We got questions? Um, yeah, Actually, sure. if you got questions, uh, first of all, pop in line. This is a whole lot shorter than the one we talked to you yesterday. So awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I talk too much anyway. Second of all, um, you guys kind of stomped all over this, but my question was uh, what was the first thing that your uncle Clinton said to you when this first took over? I want to cut. <laughs> no, no, he was he was great. You know, it's, it's funny because um, his mom, uh, my grandmother, was a was a painter, so she was a big inspiration. My my artistic talent was definitely inherited. My father used to doodle a lot, and uh, his brothers and stuff. And so, in Quentin at the time was selling art supplies, um, a company called Charpak, and so I used to get discounts for all my art supplies from him. But he was just super supportive and and just thought. Um, you know, this is an interesting idea. And he was aware, you know, of comics, and he, you know, he was on a, you know, serious comic reader or collector, but he was aware of what was going on and just thought it was kind of cool and thought, you know, and I mean, we did. We 
invited him over to the house. We scheduled a meeting, and we had this full business plan. So it was, you know, we weren't just saying, "Hey, dude, can you loan us some money?" And um, <laughs> we said, "This is how we'll pay you back." So that was really that was great. Apparently, yeah, it was really. I mean, in early '80s, that was really risky too. I mean, to get to even have an idea of getting your money back, let alone. Uh, reaching the kind of success that you did. Um, I mean, in a way, I mean, the fact that you know, when I ask for support, I mean, <laughs> thanks to you, <laughs> people can go, oh, yeah, that did happen a couple times. <laughs> but back then, it, was, it wasn't happening. No, it was, we were very... A lot of people must have told you, like, no. Well, no, you know, what was interesting, that was, um, he's, you know, fortunately, he was the only, I mean, you know, he was the only one that we really asked, but he, 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 he helped us right away. But it was, um, it was a very interesting time in comics in that, because you know, we had a lot of models that we were looking at and some of the stuff that um, was actually working, things like uh, uh, um, Dave Sim did a comic called Cerebus, The Aardvark, which was mm-hmm. started in, I think, 70, mid-70s. And he was having some success with that and Wendy and Richard Peeney with a book called uh, Elfquest, which okay. was really, really popular. Amazing stuff. Um, Flaming Carrot was, I think, another one out there around oh, the time. Bob. And uh, it'll pop. You hear my Bob? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey. yeah we were around in the Atlanta area. So, yeah. We, <laughs> oh, you know, oh, yeah. Bob pops up all the time. I slept at your house or something. No, no, I love Bob. It's like he's... He's Let one me of the tell you Mystery Man. I can tell you all about that. <laughs> I love that movie, by the way. It was one yeah. of those, like... Um, that mystery man movie was fantastic. Oh, yeah. it was, um, but there was, in, you know, even a bit further. Even my dad was, um, you know, familiar. He was he was a big fan of the fabulous Furry Freak Brothers, and so I was sort of tuned into um, you know underground comics and self publishers. But it was really kind of Dave Sim and this new group of um, you know, Sim as a self publisher and creator owner, and Wendy and Richard Pini and all that stuff. That was really, you know, that was in my. You know my wheelhouse as far as um, my age group, and, and you could see the possibility. Well, these guys are doing it, so maybe, mm-hmm. just maybe. So they were totally paving the way for you, and yep. they were your inspiration more for it. Yep. Not going off the Superman, Batman, DC, Marvel, totally, and everything. Yeah, because it was it was because um, it, it's funny because uh, um, in many ways, Heavy Metal Magazine led me to a lot of these guys in that um, uh, the early issues of Heavy Metal Magazine that came out in uh, 1977. Um, some of those issues had um, original works by Vaughn Bodie and Richard Corbin and things like that, and I became infatuated with, you know, not only heavy metal, but those artists in particular. And again, growing up in Maine, we would make, um, uh, on a day off, uh, a buddy of mine that read comics would make a pilgrimage down to um, um, Million Year Picnic, which was in um, central Boston. And that was, they had this huge selection of underground comic books, and that's where we found, like, Cerebus and some of these sure. guys. And we were just like... And even then, it was... Um, in the world of comics, they had the direct market distribution, which is a non-returnable right. system. Like most Marvel and DC, as you guys all know, it's like it was they ship them to those spinner racks and grocery stores and drug stores, and they were all returnable, which isn't economically feasible to a lot of self-publishers. But the direct comic market was something you could solicit for your books, they place orders, and, and but this was also the era of before, of local comic book distributors yes. because you didn't have Diamond being the monopoly like it is nowadays so you probably had to contact each one of them to try to get your comic to them and that's it's too bad and actually it's, I'm glad you brought that up because it's really sad that that whole system went away when we did um, uh, distribution on Turtles like you know reprint of one and two and three there was about 26 um, small distributors from uh, Heroes World Sunrise I mean Capital yeah. Comics there sure. was a lot of these guys that made it to the ship and distribute uh, similar to what they were doing, a lot of record, they distribute records That's and true. vinyl and, and all kinds of um, interesting. All the different labels stuff. and such. Yeah, so that was, and then when you know, Diamond really 
mess things up. <laughs> the attack of Steve Jeffries. <laughs> <laughs> the attack of Steve Jeffries. <laughs> we got a question out there. Yes, sir. You talked about your initial um, distribution attempts, that first run of 3,000. Um, how much have, what's the most you've seen one of those, that initial run, go for compared to what you initially sold it well, we would, you know, it's funny because we were selling them dollar fifty plus fifty cents postage back then, um, and uh, and it's I've seen it varied. I think um, um, it, it go and it's I mean like crazy varied in that I think there was a nine point four nine point six um, a couple of years ago that went almost for twenty thousand dollars, which I think was um, exceptionally. And I've never seen that again. Most of the ones we've seen because even you know you know the quality of the books. I mean. The printer that we were working with in, in New Hampshire it was so small, and uh, it was this really cheap newsprint, and really everything was really cheap. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, the newsprint started yellowing while it was still on press, practically. You know, so <laughs> and, and the, you know some of them were cropped really weird and stuff. So it's um, to get see a really nice version. But um, I see, I think the average around five thousand. I think. Uh, and you don't well, see a dime. No, 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 I don't see it. No, no it's not one of those. No, actually, I sold my interest in the turtles probably about twenty years ago, and uh, it's interesting because it was I sold my interest initially to Pete, and then Pete sold it to Viacom, and then when Viacom started relaunching the turtles, they basically called me, and so I ended up being brought back into um, the world of turtles, and, and what an incredible um, blessing it's been. It's just been I probably had as much fun. Like, I mainly work on the IDW comic series right now, mm-hmm. and I have as much fun. Um, it, it's almost as much fun as I did originally working with Peter, because I get to work with guys like Tom Walsh, and, and that comic story is the closest you probably ever get to the original Mirage series, and that it's um, tonally um, uh, intended for an older audience, so it's got a, a bit more of an edge to it and things like that. And we're, we're going to be hitting issue 100 yeah. uh, this oh, November. Yeah. Thank Thank you guys again. Thank you. It was interesting because when you started your comic, it was a very adult theme. Mm-hmm. And then when they announced that you know they're going to make a cartoon out of it, it was like they almost Disneyfied it in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. And what was your reaction to that? Type of thing? Other than oh, bring me the money, you know, <laughs> making it rain. <laughs> um, no, one of one of the things is it's a great question because um, you know Peter and I were. Um, Again, huge both uh, both huge fans of Jack Kirby and and you know Siegel and Schuster and, and Steve Gerber and so many of these guys that um, you know uh, I mean Jack Kirby in particular created most of the Marvel universe um, that even Stan Lee takes credit for uh, rest in peace Stan but it was like um, you know but that was the nature of the business a lot of those guys worked for work for hire so all those ideas um, that they came up with owned by the company um, so a brilliant guy like Jack Kirby who created. You know, again, the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and some of the things. When the company saw success from those things, those creations, he didn't see a penny from those. Um, and so Peter and I knew very early on. We had a clear understanding of that. I mean, even around this time, there was a big um, uh, industry fight. Um, guys like Frank Miller and um, Gary Groth, who published the Comics Journal, and a lot of uh, Mike Kaluta and Bernie Wrightson. We're really petitioning hard to for creators' rights. The ownership were not only what they what they created um, for these companies. Um, you know, Swamp Thing, Len Wein, that was something they created that um, DC ended up owning. Many more stories, and they, a lot of times they wouldn't even get their artwork back, their original artwork that was back in those days. So it was a big fight to get Jack Kirby's artwork back. So we, as we went into the animated 
opportunities with the turtles. We owned our copyright, we owned our trademark. Um, uh, we were selling probably about sixty or seventy thousand copies of a black and white comic book. So we not only could pay our rent, uh, eat, and uh, um, put a little money in the bank. Uh, it made us exceptionally protective and, and probably even cocky in that when Hollywood approached and there were a few different agents that approached us initially and said we think this can be toys we think it can be something much more than a comic book and we were like it's a comic book and, and you know this is what it was intended to be and we don't see what you see in it and besides you know at least the first two agents that approached us we thought they were untrustworthy. I'm trying to be wicked polite here. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm impressed you were able to do that. Yeah, like, you know, bleep, 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 agents. Um, but we met this guy, Mac Friedman, um, who, who did, he approached us and he was the same kind of thing. He showed up in our offices in, uh, offices in uh, Northampton, Massachusetts in his $800 suit, perfect hair, you know, this thing, and he's like, you know, I think it could be this, I could be this, and we were like, Dude, we, you know, all right, at least you're more tolerable than most of the rest of the guys that we've talked to. And I tell you what, we'll give you 30 days, um, no obligation. Um, if you come to us with some kind of interesting opportunity um, for us to discuss, then we'll continue talking to you. But the parameters are we own it, we control it, we have full and final say in everything that's done with it, period. Or we don't need to talk to you anymore. And so he came back um, with Playmates Toys and... Uh, an animation company and it was as such so Peter and I had um, not only complete state involvement it was Peter's idea which I thought was a great idea um, to change the color uh, the red bandanas to the different color bandanas so you could tell them apart more easily as a cartoon as a toy character um, we worked on all the original we worked on all 300 original cartoon shows we had final say in all the scripts all the notes uh, all the design work everything that you saw with a turtle on it for probably the first 15 years of turtles we had full and final say and so we knew that we were going into the animated series. Our black and white comics were written for an older audience. Uh, we knew specifically this was being done for a you know, four to six year old audience. So. Sure. <laughs> no, I totally understand because I was talking to Rob Polson mm. and Love he Rob. could not say enough great things about you guys. Oh, that's and, you know, just working with you guys on the car- original cartoon series. And now he's involved with it again. So, And he's just like. You know, Turtles. It's just like this is my life in a lot of ways. <laughs> no, Rob's with that original crew. We actually, Courtney and I, have done a couple um, events, uh, conventions with. And it's funny if you've ever met Rob, who is the nicest guy uh, ever. And um, but when you get um, Townsend Coleman and um, Cam Kennedy and Barry and all the original cast of the Turtles uh, at a show, it's like it's like the Three Stooges times ten. They're very funny together, and they, and they act out these whole scenes. And they do these little. Um, uh, quartet, you know, the singing things and it's like, <laughs> that's an absolute right. And it was great and I love that um, when Nickelodeon came back uh, around to the, do the 2012 series that they did bring Rob back specifically and he wasn't Raphael like he was in the first one they gave him Donatello and it was really exactly so. Two sides of his personality right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, there's a funny, I don't know if you guys knew this is a funny factoid is you know, it's not Chuck Lorre. Chuck Lorre. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote the theme song for the Turtles. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. I did not know that. I, you know, for years I'd forgotten because, you know, again, back in those days, they had sent us all these cassette tapes um, of the theme songs and, and the one that we picked out, which became the theme song. Um, it was like years later when he became hugely successful with um, um, Two and a Half Men and, and Big Bang and people were like, well, you know, Chuck wrote the theme song for Turtles. Huh. 
the Turtles cartoon, and I was like, what? No way. I completely <laughs> forgotten. And then, uh, Courtney, we were invited to a taping. Courtney and I got to not only sit in Sheldon's spot, um, not at the same time, separately. Um, so you got, got to sit on the couch. We got to sit on the couch, and we got to meet Chuck Lorre. And it was, he was fantastic. Because he came up, and he said, uh, and we met Chuck's daughter, who... Uh, it said that um, Chuck basically said he said I was a huge I was a hero to my child when she was in you know going through uh, elementary school and things like that because I wrote the Turtles theme song so that was my claim to fame back then. that was awesome <laughs> so I said now I want a cut of your career Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> he said no do you guys have more questions this is a bit of a fanboy question, but I've had a, this argument with a lot of people. Are the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles superheroes or not? Uh, are, they, are they superheroes or not? Yes. They're, you know what, what I loved about um, um, comics when I was reading, the comics, the kind of comics I was reading when I was growing up were like, um, like Spider-Man, for example, and, and, uh, um, and I guess I'd say my point about Spider-Man in particular because he was more of a reluctant superhero. It was sort of like, he got bit by the spider. He became this, um, you know, um, you know, uh, in, in, you know, obtained these uh, amazing mutant powers, and then you know, uh, when the forces of evil sort of, you know, cropped up and needed to be dealt with, he he took it on upon himself to be that hero. I think which we all want to be, and you know, we want to be that Indiana Jones. We want to be that hero, but when it steps in and saves the day, and so I felt like that was um, what how we modeled the turtles is like they. I was like that they were intended to be sort of teenagers first and you know they you know but when um, they need you they, they do the right thing and they step up so I'd say superheroes yes but reluctant ones they'd rather be playing video games or Fortnite or something <laughs> <laughs> sneaking into movies sitting around eating pizza exactly <laughs> Over the over the years, of course, uh, you know, there's been waves of movies and other and many animated series, comics, etc. Do you see? Have you noticed any sort of pattern over the like course of all these years? With you know, sometimes the the turtles go die down a little bit. They're down on the roller coaster, and then they go back up. Yeah, no, that's um, that was what was amazing too. Is um, you know, when you think about um, uh, this is our 35th anniversary. This may be uh, 35 years. Wow. From the uh, first publication, yeah, all your fault again. <laughs> um, thank you. Thirty-five um, years. Issue one hundred is coming up. I think there's some big celebrating happening. <laughs> yes. let, me, let me adjust my depends first. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's been a, a wonderful ride and a wonderful blessing in every imaginable sense of the word. Um, but our agent, the, the agent that took it out initially, um, he said no. Because he was great, he, he always had lots of great advice. And he said, "Look, this is most boys' concepts of this type. You'll have an introductory year. Um, you don't really make any money. You get you know paid a little bit to advances for the rights. But he said, if it works, you'll have a, a, a second year, which would be the banner year, which you could potentially make some some pretty good money. And then by year three, you're in the discount bins. So he said, you know, save everything. And he, he said, you know, talk to a financial person and." You know, just make sure you take care of yourself first, um, the best you can, and then you know that just just didn't stop for a long time. We, we, I'd say the peak year being um, you know probably uh, eighty nine and ninety with the with the movie. With the movie. <clears throat> yeah, the the first movie was a huge uh, hit, um, and uh, you know that was another interesting just as a digression. It was like every studio in Hollywood said no to the movie. They were like, we're not 
are you guys drunk? Mutant turtles? Well, the concept alone, I would imagine, looking at it, like, well, in order to pull this off, it's going to cost a lot. Yes, it was. It was. It was definitely. It was a bunch of that, but it was. We were blessed in so many ways that um, not only um, New Line Cinema saw the opportunity to invest in it, but. Um, um, Distribution, but um, Golden Harvest, um, uh, the main parent company that, that did the film, did all the Jackie Chan films, um, and had seen, you know, it's like, oh, okay, we can put um, a martial artist in a rubber suit and get away with some of this. But Steve Barron, the director they brought in, had worked with Jim Henson um, on uh, some storyteller episodes and some other things, and so he had a great knowledge of animatronics and, and what could be done and what couldn't be done. So that perfect storm of all those things um, coming together was. You know how they squeezed. I think uh, I think the total budget was um, around seven million, which was mm-hmm. which you know for nineteen. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot. Oh, that <laughs> yeah. No, no, I mean, yeah. Now it's like you can't shoot a Pepsi commercial. <laughs> but no, it was. Uh, but that was you know they. It was a true independent um, movie, um, and then the way that it was done, the way that it was handled, and I think that's why, in many ways, it, it came up as good as it did because that will always be out of going back to your question is that there have been many versions and you know the, the peaks were probably 91, 92 and then it was a sort of steadily um, we had a presence in, in cartoons and stuff until 1996 into 97 when I did um, Pete took a short break when I worked on the uh, live action series which introduced Venus which I know everybody loves as much as I do yeah. uh, I do um, and then uh, I stepped away from the turtles when Pete came in and did the 2000 series which is also one of my favorites I think that series was and that's what uh, oddly enough that's what Tom and I refer to a lot that 2000 series is part of some of the basis for the IDW comics that we're doing um, yeah we've seen it sort of peaks and valleys of course and then the fact that you know um you know, every time it would be reintroduced and going back to uh, um, the most recent reintroduction has been the most mind-blowing in that most of you folks that were fans of the original series, say you were seven, eight, nine when it first came out, um, we do shows now, Courtney and I do about, um, about 15 shows a year, and we now see like whole families coming dressed as turtles or fans of turtles that, you know, because I always say that the biggest compliment of the huge, it's very humbling in its sense is that um, you can't tell kids what's cool and what's not cool. They decide. And the fact that kids have found something after all these years in the turtles that's sort of, you know, what? I don't know. It's amazing. And that's, uh, so that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty thrilling. It's, you know, as popular today as it's ever been. Well, it's awesome probably for you to see, like, variations of the very first storylines that you mm-hmm. guys came up with up on the big screen, either in cartoon yep. or in the movies. Mm-hmm. And just, that's my work. And it's just probably geek out for you than anything. Yep. No, it's still, it's like, you know, because we've seen, you know, because um, people ask, like, okay, what's your favorite turtle movie and what's your least favorite? <laughs> and um, and uh, you guys probably know the answer in some respect. No, but the... Uh, no, one of the things I like, even there may be some of the turtle um, version of the turtles that I might a little, I like might like a little less than others, or others I might like a little more than others. What's been so awesome is that the consistency of what I guess Pete and I evolved the series to by say issue eleven and twelve, which um, we only did you know full on uh, like fifteen, sixteen issues together, where we passed pages back and forth about the stories, and then there was always a smattering of working together in different aspects was uh, the idea that the turtles were a family and it's like 
few four you know mutated characters that um, are basically orphaned. Uh, they have a surrogate father and, and, a, and a mutated rat. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and then you know uh, April uh, being the first human brought into the turtles universe is kind of the surrogate sister in a sense. So so we we sort of built this whole family on Casey, April, the four turtles, and Splinter as the main heart and soul and. That seems to always be a constant in all the different things, and I think that's what binds it together for, for, for fans, even if you don't like the Michael Bay movies. There were some great things in the Michael Bay movies. We got to see Bebop and Rocksteady on the big screen for the first time and things like that. But that's, that's pretty awesome. So, yeah, that's some stuff that, um, you know, I didn't particularly like them being six foot tall and bulletproof, but... You know. <laughs> hey, at least there weren't transforming robots. <laughs> at least there <laughs> Exactly. Yet. So, no, no. Yes, sir. Speaking of Venus, um, do you think she would be received better nowadays? That's a good question, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's possible, because I do wonder that, because um, a lot of people go, you know, well, at least around and they said, why the heck did you do that? And what's weird is the very short version of the story is we had actually explored the idea with New Line Cinema for a fourth turtle movie that never got made, which was introducing a, a, a fourth, um, a fifth male, a fifth turtle named Kirby, a male turtle. He was sort of washed a little bit further down as a tribute to, to Jack Kirby, and, and he was brought up differently. And there was, um, you know, we thought we came up with a good story that made that work. And then when that movie failed to go forward, um, and then um, Haim Saban, which is why there was the, the uh, crossover with the Power Rangers, wanted to do it. Uh, so we had developed that. TV series as a, with a fifth turtle from the beginning, but it was a male turtle named Kirby. And then Margaret Lesh, who was head of Fox Kids at that time, wanted to do a girl turtle. And he said, "You know, we love strong female characters. We love our, you know, Ripley, Sigourney Weaver. We love, um, you know, um, Tara Connor. You know, we love this. You know, this there's always been a good female presence. So I thought this would be well received as a as a thing for the turtles line. But um, there was a lot of pushback. So I think now I think it probably would have been it would be more more well received." We're all much smarter now. <laughs> More evolved. More evolved, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in addition to Turtles, of course, that's not all you've done. Um, company that I respect a lot, Tundra. Thank you. Yep. Very much so. Talking about paying it forward to uh, independent guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's where I discovered uh, the Crow. Uh, James O'Mars, hmm. Crow, as well as Mike Allred with uh, Madman. Mad yes. Yeah, Mad that stuff is incredible. Talk about a little bit about the formation of Tundra. Tundra was, um, was a wonderful experience for me because I felt like, um, you know, Peter and I were, again, the, the, the industry is a comics industry is changing so much um, during this time, the evolution of black and white comics and the boom and bust, they call it. There was a lot of... Um, once the turtle succeeded, there was a lot of awareness in self-publishing. A lot more people were doing it um, and following the same footsteps that we were already following. And um, I would say that standing on the shoulders of giants, Peter and I were inspired by the Marvel, DC, and the other comics that we read and, and, and found our way into the business. And a lot of people wanted to pursue that as well, um, but just didn't have the opportunities. Um, and what's even more interesting is like I'd go to comic conventions in the early days and be sitting with um, you know I mean I was had a number of conversations with Todd McFarlane and, and Eric Larson and some of those guys who were doing some of the most popular comics at Marvel and DC and they're like oh man we should be doing our own stuff and you know and he's a, but we're stuck in this in, in not they stuck is not the most appropriate term because they love doing Spider-Man they love doing Hulk and they love what they're doing but they said 
you know, we have a family, we have a mortgage, or we have rent, or we have this, and so it's hard for us to bust out from that monthly comic book schedule to say develop and do our own comics, our own thing. Um, and this was consistent through whether it's you know Alan Moore who started self publishing, there was um, um, Frank Miller who moved to. There was a, a huge discussion in that. So I thought that with the formation of Tundra, it was to do something kind of similar to what the Beatles did back way back in the day with Apple Records, which is to set up a way to fund um, properties, fund projects that wouldn't normally be funded or have the opportunities to be exposed in a in a larger way, um, and then allow the creators to keep their rights to those characters. Um, so that was the foundation of Tonka, so which was a lot of great stuff came out of it. Yeah, we did From Hell, and we did the Crow, oh, yeah. like you said, and uh, it was a lot of great stuff. And, and uh, so no, it was a. Uh, yeah, I also did the Words and Pictures Museum around the time, which is a real other dream come true. Mm-hmm. And that was That's awesome. Fantastic. So uh, I think we have a young man oh, out there yes. with a question. Captain America, one of my favorites. That's a great question. Um, we did when we were doing when we were choosing the colors for the um, headbands. We felt um, Raphael would keep to the original red bandana because he's kind of our, I guess, our Wolverine character. So he's kind of angry all the time. Um, so red seemed to be fitting for him. Um, orange for Michelangelo seemed perfect because it's kind of a silly color, lighter, funner color. Um, so <laughs> Michelangelo, we got a few Michelangelo's. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, Leonardo with the blue, it was sort of a more regal um, uh, royal color that, that you know, the, akin to the, what the samurai might be, you know, because the samurais were very um, loyal and, 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 and well-trained and that kind of stuff. But Donatello was, um, his weapon was a bow staff, and that was a common weapon used by monks and often pacifists and, and uh, um, people that, you know, that you know, weren't even allowed to train with weapons in those days, but you could... You know, someone well trained with a bow staff could disarm somebody with a sword. In some cases, um, we just like, but we like the idea that it was more of a peaceful, pleasant color, and that seemed um, more um, in tune with technology and things that he would be interested in. So, it was suited for Donatello. Thanks for the question. Yeah, I got, I have four sons, each with a starting initial. <laughs> no way! Oh, that is wow. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Like getting stuck with purple. <laughs> 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 Donatello's a smart one. He's, he's a, everybody loves Donatello. I love him. That's right. What's the question? Yell it though, because people can't hear. Uh, I got a question for for Kevin Eastman. Uh, do you have any advice for like someone who might want to break into the comics and with their own? self-published thing like any advice at all absolutely are you um, an artist or are you an artist writer or both you do... uh, inspiring writer inspiring writer great no and I it, what's so interesting about what you can do today um, and as the world gets smaller and I use that term because you know with the with the internet and things like that um, uh, um, like I used to say for example I used to be part of a, a I used to spend a lot of time on a site called DeviantArt and what was great about DeviantArt was they connected writers and artists from all over the world um, that um, not only people could join up with um, similar ideas and similar concepts and or if you're a writer looking for an artist and I know there's a couple other sites uh, comicart.org and there's a few other ones but um, the internet is allowed to um, people to reach a wider audience um, um, 
quicker, easier, find people of like minds, um, like ideas and interests. Um, you know, if you like Doctor Who, you can go online and probably find you know a couple thousand Doctor Who related websites and people to hang out with that all talk about Doctor Who kind of things or uh, so on and so on. So I feel like um, there's an opportunity for you to reach a wider audience to connect and to get your word for your ideas and your creations out there. Um, um, easier than word of mouth than what we did back in the day. Um, but um, so yeah, it's a, um, that is a opportunity. It also there's a lot of competition out there. Um, so you have to be diligent, much like um, you know, if you work at your craft, if you are writing, you need to write every day. And I know that not always easy. It's the same if you're drawing, if you're interested in music or sports, or it applies to all those kinds of things. If you want to get better, you have to do it every day, and even if it's only for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Um, but work hard at it because um, it'll make a difference. And you know, you know, before you know it, if you're doing something every day to improve what you love um, and writing, that you know, suddenly you spend 365 days working at it, and you're getting better. And I say this point specifically to in relation to the turtles. Improving is that when we did the first issue of the turtles, which was 40 pages, the longest story I'd ever done was a 10-page story by myself, and Pete was about the same. So suddenly we were producing books. Um, like every six to eight weeks, but we were there forty page books, and so we were literally drawing like six to eight hours a week and you could see how much uh, we evolved as um, artists and writers because we both wrote and drew them in that period of time so um, don 't give up the dream, work hard, and uh, get the word out and meet people with like minds and like ideas and, and keep at it <clears throat> don 't give up okay. Go ahead. hey so just my question is that. Being somebody that grew up in uh, 1993 and so then sort of kind of missed the old 90 turtles as I did not get into a done tell it show on uh, Fox in 03, once the Fox rebranded Fox Kids to then Fox Box, and then hours that whole cartoon storyline, but until its very end, but then, then, so, then, then, so, that's all I got into it, but if that, the reason why I knew about the uh, Ninja Turtles is because my older brothers were born in yeah. the 80s, and so we had so many Ninja Turtle toys. Dub of, Did you get them all? Dub, <laughs> dub of that being, getting the mountains of Dove Western, uh, Dark Con, dub of that, we even had these sleds. Yeah! That were the, uh, that were the uh, Ninja Turtles. And so, yes, I did get the toys for a bit, but we ended up Giving them all to uh, that the goodwill. And I kind of wish. Oh, that's nice. But I kind of wish that we kept the sleds. But I don't think that bringing these toys uh, were, were the better because they were well played with. Ah, uh, well loved. Uh, yes, they were well loved. Yeah, yes, and had a lot of wear. But about yeah. that, but my question yeah, is: Looking back at seeing like all the toy craziness of the late '80s, did, did you ever get <coughs> uncomfortable with just how much merchandise was being created, how much commercialized it was being with all the toys? Did, would you, did would you ever get uncomfortable with that at the time of just how much stuff was being made? It was, you know, it, it's funny when we were, it, it's a really good question, by the way, and it's funny because it is, you know, um, I hear so many stories of like, a couple things happen when we do these shows that I love, besides meeting you all, is like, um, sometimes fans will bring up um, a book or a toy that, they'll bring up a toy that they've had since they were four or five, and it's been chewed up, beat up, destroyed, and they would come up and then practically apologize for, sorry, that's all I have for you to sign. I'm like, dude, you have, or, you know, ma'am, you don't know how incredibly cool this is that you, not only love this one, 
you were that age, but you still kept this all this time, and your mom didn't throw it away. <laughs> all that stuff. But I, it's a, that's a huge compliment to me, and I love that I get to experience and see some of those old comic books, because my comic book collection is beat to hell because I read them all the time, and, I read them. and my mom didn't throw them away, thankfully, when I went uh, to college. Um, but there were... Um, when we were going into licensing uh, the turtles, this was a new world to us in that you know we knew we had the toys, we had this, and then suddenly there was pajamas, and they were, and like okay, really, okay, yeah, I could see that. I would wear you know Superman pajamas when I was a kid, or Hot Wheels and stuff, and then you know each of these things kept adding on, and, and it was to the point that Peter and I would look at some of the Happy Meal things and some of the things and be like, what have we done? And, and the fact that they were selling, and then you know, then it was. And it's funny, you know, reference the, how we do shows these days. Is that back in those days when we do shows, say it was you, your brothers, and you might be about this tall, and your parents would be behind you. You might be excited to meet me, but your parents were really pissed off. Um, and you could read their minds because they were thinking like. Do you know how much money I spent on <laughs> Ninja Turtle underoos and Halloween costumes and how many you know Christmas Eves I stayed up putting together that stupid turtle sewer playset? <laughs> stepped on Leonardo's sore and the restroom in the middle of the night. Um, but it's uh, it was I mean there was some, there was some stuff we we had some restraint I know it probably doesn't seem like it um, but there were some things that we. You know, that didn't happen, but it was it was pretty amazing to 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 go through that and to see it, it, it work um, in the way that it did because it was it was overwhelming and you know a lot of times though you didn't when you're going through it you don't realize it till you stop and and I remember going like the first time um, I went to the movie premiere uh, for the first movie in Paris and I'd never been to Paris before. So I'm here in Paris for a movie premiere, so I'm standing uh, looking at the Eiffel Tower, and there's this movie poster for the Turtles in French, and I'm like, what the... <laughs> this makes no sense to me. Um, uh, but it's amazing. So, um, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty crazy. It was, um, okay, it's good to know that there were things that you said no to on the merchant talk. Not many. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got another question in the back. Yeah. Yeah, so I was just wondering uh, about the run that Image did back in the 90s. It's probably the most mature, most dark series that has ever been with the Ninja Turtles, you know, with, it's insane. Rob, with Raphael losing an eye and Leo losing an arm. I was just wondering if you think you might do any more stories like that with IDW, especially since IDW is reprinting that run, and it only had like 24 issues, I think. Yeah, I know, and I'm glad you brought it up because we're literally right in the middle of that. I was... um. I finished the cover for issue 13 before flying here. Um, but this, what was neat about this series, it was, it was at a time when um, um, there was little or no uh, publishing going on with the Turtles. Um, on the Mirage side, we had licensed, uh, Simon Bisley and I did a book called Body Count with, uh, with Image, which was considered the most violent turtle story ever done. Um, but it was still in the spirit of the original self-publishing, older, edgier turtles that we were doing. Um, but that image run uh, was supposed to go 26 issues, but it only lasted. Um, it was finally canceled up by issue 23, just there was not enough sales um, to, to keep it going. So when, um, after a long discussion with uh, Nickelodeon and, uh, and IDW, Nickelodeon owns the uh, Turtles, um, that they did agree to to publish it again. But um, it was I was adamant, and my advice to them was like, don't even bother going there if you're not going to commit to doing the whole thing and finishing those last three issues with the original um, art team of Gary Carlson and Frank Ford. 
Um, Frank Bosco, sorry. Um, and so that's what they're doing. So yeah, we're going to finish it um, in its um, in its entirety. But it is some there's some pretty crazy stuff in there. That's more like the original underground trail. So cool. That's cool. That's cool. Um, if you don't mind my backtracking back to the Venus thing. Sure. If, um, if Venus were to be reintroduced into you, the you get a little closer sorry. to the microphone. You can move it down. There you go. If you don't mind my backtracking back to the Venus thing, if, if you think Venus were to be reintroduced into modern incarnations of the turtles, would she still be limited as a love interest to the other turtles, or would she be something completely independent? No, I, I think it would be completely independent. In fact, I think that you know one of the, my favorite things about what Ciro Neely did with the 2012 uh, turtle series is I love that they took uh, April's character and um, uh, um, made her... Uh, almost the same age as the turtles. Um, April's 16, the turtles are technically 15 in the third series. But she's got a, April has a number five on her shirt, and that's sort of our little symbol that she's the fifth turtle. And so she's in there, you know, giving the boys as, as good as it gets, um, you know, dishing it out, and she's right on the front lines of them, like I think, you know, most women are today. So I think that she'd be, very much be in that same spirit. And that's what I love, many, many things I liked about the 2012 series, besides Ice Cream Kitty, which is the most awesome. Great voice. What a voice. Who was that actor that De Niro? De Niro? Was it De Niro? But no, she would definitely be right in there with the boys. I like that. That's important. I grew up with three sisters, so I was like, you know. I got beat up a lot by girls. <laughs> <laughs> okay, V, you got a question for us? Lately, you know, I have two questions. If that's okay, with you know. Sure. Yeah. Like, um, relatively, turtles great work. And like, what is your current project you're doing for now? Say that again, please. What is your current projects that you're working? On? Oh, the current projects I'm working on now. Yes, um, Thanks. We actually, it's funny and um, it's very interesting that we, I'm going back to self-publishing starting this May, and thanks to uh, a lot of fans that supported I did a Kickstarter last year with a, uh, a co-creator, writer, Ben Avalone, and, uh, I'm sorry, Ben Avalone, David Avalone, and artist Ben Bishop, um, and Ben Bishop and I did the Turtles um, Target R series last year, which was fantastic. He's a fellow artist from Maine. And so we um, did a Kickstarter, we raised the funds to do four issues, um, which is the first part of 12 full um, story segments called Drawing Blood. And, uh, and we're going back to self-publishing issue one starting in May, and we'll run through all 12 issues of the sales uh, if you guys support us. Um, and it's based on um, a completely fictional true story. It's got some semi-autobiographical moments, but it's sort of a, my, sort of a, a bit of Spinal Tap, a little Armadeus, a little Breaking Bad sort of isms about a fictional character named Shane Bookman uh, and his whole world is uh, based in the, our world, the world of comic books. So it's sort of what he went through with uh, early success, how he messed that up, and sort of him looking for his mojo, looking for his creativity again, while he's haunted and tortured by the characters he created, which are the radically rearranged Ronin Ragdolls. These three samurai cats named uh, Miyazaki, Tezuka, and Otomo, <laughs> named after our favorite Japanese animators. Um, that's uh, probably the main project I'm working on right now is drawing blood. I've got a few other things we're doing, but that's that's my first original. Uh, not only um, I've created and I've done lots of other projects, but this is um, uh, I I had to live through all of the other stuff to arrive at drawing blood, which I'm so excited about as a series. I think you guys get a big kick out of it. So. All right, absolutely cool. Well, another question too: being a sure. game and everything. Like, what is your favorite Turtles video game? Of them all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's it. 
because I, I, I'm terrible at them. Um, <laughs> I'm really terrible at them. Um, I like the arcade game because I like you could play it with like you know full on with you know back you know these days that our, our son is online with like ten of his friends playing Fortnite or Rocket League or something. And uh, but back then that was the first game you could get you know three other friends and all play. Um, that's why I like the Turtles arcade man. Stand up. Thanks. Thanks for your question. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, very cool. Uh, also, I, I don't think I want to leave here without asking you about heavy metal. Oh, sure, yeah. Absolutely. That was my next question, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, tell us, because you mentioned earlier how heavy metal was an influence to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what what uh, prompted you to, to, to get behind the uh, publishing arm of that? Well, what's um, what was amazing with heavy metal is that, I, like I said, I mentioned earlier, I discovered it. Um, at the time, it was interesting. At a time when um, I was kind of growing out of comic books a little bit, only because I love the medium. But comic books during the '70s, especially the mid '70s, um, was sort of regulated by this um, authority called the Comics Code Authority, um, and and it was this kind of silly system set up to regulate comics for kids only. So they were heavily regulated to um, you had to be for 12 and under, or even younger. And about the time I loved them, I still love comic books, but I was starting to grow out of them. And I, then I discovered Heavy Metal Magazine, which not only published some of the underground comics artists that became a big influence, but a lot of European artists. Which, for a lot of these European artists like uh, Mobius and Blyle and so many other fantastic talents, um, they evolved while American comics stayed sort of stagnant. And so um, the first time I went to a comic store in Paris, you saw business professionals you saw women you know back which was very rare <laughs> see you know a female fans in a comic store back in um, uh, in the early 80s um, so it was um, uh, and so that was really the eye opening for me in that um, my commitment was reaffirmed and cemented if you will that um, comics are for all ages um, um, and it's not like you know that thing that I, you know, when I get made fun of in sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade, you still read comic books. Um, you know, I was a geek back when it was not a cool thing. Um, but what was great about heavy metal is I discovered that it was this whole new world, and and and, and, and empowered me greatly, and a lot of other artists. So with the success of the Turtles, um, uh, I found myself having a conversation with somebody who who said in the late uh, late eighties that um, heavy metal was for sale. So I used. Some of my turtle money, and I bought Heavy Metal magazine in 1990, um, and published it. And still, I'm still publisher of the magazine. I don't own it fully like I used to, but I do. But it was uh, one of those things that was a dream come true. In that, um, I still, for probably this is probably 1990 to um, 2010, 2011. I pretty much picked every single story that went in the magazine covers. Everything it was like uh, there was a only a four person company. Um, but I ran and did everything with it, and it was one of those jobs that was definitely not a job because it was so it's much fun. It's definitely nice to see it in the last few years get sort of a, a, another boost with, with uh, Grant Morrison being involved. And yeah, that was true. I had a partner, Jeff Carlitz, came in and um, he bought into the company, and he really had some great ideas to expand and grow the company because uh, um, you know newsstand distribution had changed so much, and there were so many things that we really had to refocus. Many, many things, and that was Jeff's idea to bring in Grant Morrison, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. And really changed the dynamic on a number of things and it's more you know we're selling more copies um, of the magazine today on its well into its 40th year than, than we were 10 years ago so excellent has it. there been any talk about maybe another movie or more multimedia <laughs> yeah. no I'm laughing because of yeah, there's, a, there's a new series coming out on Netflix called Love, Death and Robots which originally was called Heavy Metal um, 
a couple of years ago, uh, a couple of years ago, 2008, 2009, um, I worked with David Fincher and Tim Miller, who directed um, Deadpool, um, and we tried to raise money to do a heavy metal movie. Um, we spent four years trying, and we couldn't. I spent a couple of years with Robert Rodriguez, also trying to raise money to do a heavy metal movie. And so, as things have evolved, um, I think that you know, heavy metal as a brand is sort of less important to the marketing people in Hollywood. And, uh, and 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 um, it's still a cool thing to the freighter people, but I think um, I'd still love to see a heavy metal movie, and I haven't given up hope on doing a new one, fully branded heavy metal, something crazy fun. So, yeah, first one's still one of my favorites. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, I enjoy this one very very much. Oh yeah, yeah. We, we, when we reviewed it um, for our podcast, we were like, "There's got to be more. There's got to be more. <laughs> your stuff is just ripe for it." And everything. Thank you. No, I'd love to. I would love to see another thing, especially what Ivan Reitman did in that original one was so awesome. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Question. Uh, you mentioned that Donnie being a pacifist, and I know that's always been a huge part of his character. In the 2012 iteration, what did you think of the addition of the blade on his staff? There was a, there was fun uh, not fun it was funny um, it was funny yeah, they didn't really kill stuff um, well all right <laughs> they started drinking no <laughs> no what was because I liked because um, that was what I loved what Ciro nearly did with the series is that he did um, he went back to a actually kind of like what we did with the 90W series we looked at a bunch of different turtle universes to create a new universe to tell stories in and I liked like um Michelangelo, they made Mikey goofier, but he had a different kind of blade. He had a part um, nunchuck and part something else. And with Donatello, it was one of those things that... Um, so I think we evolved into... Um, so I think we did the blade for a period of time, and then I think we all thought that was a little too on Donatello, so then we made it into a steel, I think, a, a solid um, 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 bow staff. Um, but yeah, there was a... There was a, it's funny, I was talking to another person today because, you know, you didn't get the joke, I do the voice of Ice Cream Kitty or did the voice of Ice Cream Kitty. And I just remember, like, when Cyril would do some of his ideas and I'd read some of the, as I used to go up there all the time and, and saw that rolled a couple, wrote a couple episodes and stuff, but some of the stories were really messed up. <laughs> like, what? You know, and he would bring in some, um, like he did a... Um, Robin England, he did a Freddie, he got the voice of Freddie to, to do a voice, and James Hong from Big Trouble in Little China, and he would, like, even the um, the episode of The Birth of Ice Cream Kitty, which was this reintroduction, or the introduction of Rat King as a character into the storyline, and it was just a, you know, just the death of Ice Cream Kitty to be <laughs> reborn into this cat made of the ice cream was like that's scary as hell uh, I'm like Ciro dude he can like you know do it off camera but he's got the cat going <laughs> and, uh, and then the, the um, Ratching as a, as a character was really scary and then they did this one episode of, like the pizza zombies was these this guy throwing pizzas on these people's head and they turn into these zombies <laughs> but um so yeah, we tried a different, bunch of different things, but um, it's still one of my favorite all-time turtle series. The exploration was really neat, and I'm glad we got to finally bring in um, uh, Yusaki Yojimbo fully back in. Pretty awesome. Well, that is going to wrap up our time with yes, you. Yes, I think yeah. it flew by. You're still, uh, you're still going to be on the floor. No. Actually, they're leaving. We have to be on a plane in an hour and a half. Uh, yeah, so we're already like, uh, yeah, and we got to. But uh, I just waiting. <laughs> 
Yeah. No, that's right. We came, yeah, we came in uh, Friday. We did a, we had a pizza party with a whole bunch of y'all. It was a really super fun. Um, and we had an incredibly uh, wonderful and exceptionally fun-filled day yesterday. Thanks for standing in those lines. You guys are crazy. I love you. Um, I always joke I wouldn't stand in line to see me. I'm really glad you guys do. Um, and I always like to say that um, I get to sit up here and I get to sit behind the table because I have the best. Uh, I have the best job in the world because I have the best fans in the world. So I really appreciate you coming well, hanging out. From all of us here at South Carolina Comic Con, thank you for everything. Thank you. We've had a blast with you guys. Thank you very much. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about some upcoming television and movies I'm excited for. So first, I'm going to start with TV. We have a lot of great new stuff starting, and a few that I'm really excited for are the new Sabrina the Teenage Witch Season 2 on Netflix. It starts on April 4th, and I'm super, super excited to see what happens to Sabrina and the other characters in the show, especially after how Season 1 and the Christmas special ended. So it's just going to be really interesting to see how the show progresses with its second season, and if it will do well enough to survive for a third season. I really hope so, because I really adored the first season of it. The next one I'm really excited for is a cartoon done on Disney XD called Star vs. the Forces of Evil. This is the last season of this fantastic show that, if you have not seen it, you should go back and watch all of it to prepare yourself for the final season. I am super pumped to see what ha- see what happens in it, because last season was such a nail-biter, and... I'm just really, really hoping they go out really, really strong and just as amazing as the last season was. So movies that I'm super excited about that you should check out if you haven't heard of are Us, the new horror movie from Jordan Peele. This is his second horror movie since his debut for Get Out, which was fantastic, and I'm really, really excited for it. It just... The previews are making it seem like it's so unique, and that's something we don't see a lot in horror movies recently. So I'm really, really excited for this because the acting looks like it's going to be amazing. The storyline looks like it's going to be different. So it seems like it's going to be a really great film. Another movie I'm really excited for that most people have been groaning about are Shazam!, So I'm really excited for this film just because it looks funny and like it's going to be a good time. And when I go to see a movie, sometimes that's all I want. I don't need it to be a cinematic masterpiece. I just want to be, I want to laugh and I want to have fun with the film. And that's exactly what this movie seems like it's going to be. So I'm really excited for this one. And then my last film that I'm really excited for is the new Pet Cemetery remake. The previews for this Stephen King classic make it look really promising. Like, it looks like it's going to be creepy and that it's going to, you know, have a great story to it. It's going to be adapted well. So I'm really excited for this one. Like, I know a lot of people groaned when they heard they were making a Pet Cemetery remake. Remake. I don't really know how you would put that. But the previews for this look really great. So I'm really excited for it. And there are so many great movies coming out and great television right now. I'm just pumped to get to, like, see it all. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. For the week of March 20th, 2019, it's the ESO Network Con Report. Con! 
Well, there's one show that's coming up at the uh, end of March. Actually, it's this weekend, the 22nd through the 25th, and that is Matrotham Con. That is in East Ridge, Tennessee. Uh, we had a couple of the organizers uh, on with us uh, a few weeks ago talking all about this inaugural event. It's the first time ever for this convention. East Ridge, Tennessee is near Chattanooga, which is a great location. Uh, should be a great show. I'm, they've got a lot of great guests, uh, including... <laughs> Pat myself on the back here. Myself. Uh, myself and Peter Cutler will be up there uh, representing, of course, Earth Station One, the ESO Network, as well as Tiki Zombie. It's going to be a blast. Uh, our good friends, Ricky and Bambi, who perform, uh, actually uh, perform with Radio Cull. They perform um, just by themselves acoustically. They perform with Possum King Ramblers. They perform with Learning to Count, which is a Ramones cover band. They will be doing some of that. I know that they're definitely performing as Radio Cult on Friday night, and I think they're going to have some other performances throughout the weekend, uh, some of the other projects as well. So expect some good music uh, to be played at Matrotham Con. And, uh, of course, we know them from doing the music spotlights here on the Earth Station One podcast. So they're great friends and they're great musicians. So that's reason enough alone to go to Matrotham Con, but uh, lots of other reasons as well. Check out the website, MatrothamCon.com, for the latest information as far as how you can reserve your tickets for this weekend. And we hope to see you there. And... For shows that are coming up in April, um, right now, don't have anything on the agenda yet, except I do know that uh, Richard from uh, the PWR Spot Show, he's going to be attending his first ever WrestleMania, which is taking place in uh, Jersey, I believe. Um, so um, uh, so we are, uh, if you're going to be at WrestleMania, uh, you, you, can reach, you can try to find Richard in that mass of people. Um, and then uh, we're still getting some dates in for May. So uh, so watch this space. And uh, if you ha- meanwhile, if you have a convention that's coming up that you want us to help promote or participate in or just want to rant and rave about, please reach out to us because we love talking about conventions. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Whew, we feel like we've really worked, you know, going between here and South Carolina. It's just like crazy. Thank God we have teleporters here on the station. Mike, we made it through another one, my friend. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Um, well, I'm still really coming down from a great South Carolina uh, Comic-Con, SC Comic-Con experience. I mean, uh, I'm glad that we were able to air the Kevin Eastman and big thanks to Kevin Eastman for, for allowing us to share the stage with him. Big thanks to Mick Foley, uh, even though we weren't able to air that segment uh, to, to hang out with him as well. Uh, so that was a, a great, a great, I'm glad we were able to share the, the Kevin Eastman one. So I'm hoping that people who are listening uh, enjoyed that. Um, but uh, as also far the- the uh, podcast panel that we did in South Carolina. Yeah, I don't want to forget that. That was a fun panel as well, hanging out with uh, our fellow podcasters and talking to some people who are up-and-coming podcasters. Exactly. That was was a a really great time. We always love doing those and talking about 
uh, how it's so important to get your voice out there. Um, and kind of speaking of which, I'm going to talk about another podcast. I'm going to give a shout out to our friends over at the Story Geeks. I know, I know, they're not officially on the network, but they're such good friends of the station. Ah, those guys again. I have to give them a shout out because, yes, uh, I was on a podcast recently where uh, I moderated one of their nerd fights uh, for to determine who the best live action Batman is, um, and that's already available. And then in a couple weeks. Uh, they will be releasing uh, the second nerd fight that I moderated, that I judged in, where they we determine who the best live action or best interpretation of Spider-Man is. And so uh, I am uh, the moderator, the judge, if you will, and uh, our good friend Jay, uh, Sandra Demas, and Justin Weaver. They are uh, giving arguments, and uh, it's just it's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun, and it's kind of stressful because. It's not easy to be the guy who has to make the ultimate decisions, but uh, uh, they uh, they do a really good job at defending at defending their uh, picks. So uh, I, I know that we've had Jay on before in the Geek Seat. We've had Daryl on the show, uh, but the two new co-hosts over there, uh, Sandra and uh, Justin, uh, they I think the Geek Seat awaits them. And so uh, so yes, so tune in to. All uh, goodness at the Story Geeks, and uh, and yeah, we give them a big shout out. Fantastic, and yeah, you are such a level-headed individual, <coughs> but you know, <laughs> I assure you, we're completely impartial. Of course. Oh yes, of course, of course, yes, yes, of course. Harumph, harumph. Of course, you were. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Could see that happening. Well, that's awesome. And my shout out, real quick, goes out to our f- own. Nerd Bliss Podcast. That's right. They just celebrated their 100th episode. And they had me on it to help celebrate. Isn't that Ooh. awesome? Hey, and you're also on 99, right? I am on 99 and 100. This is Yes. A, I'm actually a a thing. On, I actually appear on 99 myself because they uh they talked to us all at South Carolina Comic Con. So Exactly. And they even talked to Judy. Can you believe that? So so definitely check out episode 99 of Nerd Bliss and yeah, we guess 100 too. Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> it's it's a momentous event when a podcast hits 100. It's a momentous event when a podcast hits 10. So yeah, good point. So as we talked about on our on our panels when we do podcasting panels, it's a, it's an amazing ride and and to get to 100, I remember when we got to 100 and it it's it's it feels like it was surreal. Yeah, it's just like you're in a groove. So no, exactly. And that's where it gets really crazy. And so I'm really, you know, very proud of the podcast there. And I'm very happy yeah. for them. And Chris and, of course, Tina and Dan yeah. and the rest of the crew, they have done a great product. And it's great to see them, you know, continually evolve. And yeah, here's to the next 100 for them. So bravo, my friends. Bravo. Absolutely. Very consistent and uh congratulations guys and uh yeah, we'll um since we've made an appearance on made appearances on the shows, I'm expecting a check in the mail. So of course royalties are accepted anytime. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we you know, sign those agreements, you know, to appear on the shows. But we could be on your show too. Hint hint nudge nudge wink wink. Mike <laughs> and I are available. Mike records almost every night on other podcasts already. So we're, we're not proud. No, we are not. So Mike and Mike are available. So if you're a podcaster and want our 
dulcet tones on your podcast, please write us at feedback at esonetwork.com, and we'd be glad to join you on any show, no matter what the topic is. I've got two more to record this week. See, there you go. (laughs) So with that being said, thank you guys for joining us this week. We will be back again next week when we are going to be talking all about the art of John Byrne. So that should be interesting to talk about, you know, all the way from when he first started with Marvel through his DC time, through his next men era. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, what goes on in the world of John Byrne and such. So with that, we will see you then. My name is Mike Faber. Peace. And we're done. Boom. 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 He says, uh-huh. Boom. <laughs> You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station 1 podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.